When you were younger, did you play follow the leader? If you did, you'll remember that the rules were fairly simple. You pick someone for the front of the line and everyone else was to mimic, imitate, do what the leader does. And for those who fell behind or refused to act like the leader, well, they would be eliminated from the game. Now, part of the fun of the game was that each person that was at the front of the line, they brought their own style, their own personality, their own idea about how they were going to lead. And in many ways, that game of our youth is sort of now as adults, that's what we take part in daily. Two amazing leaders who are at the front of their respective lines are Gina Leahy, Managing Director of Communications for Branding and Strategy with the NCAA, and Jason Horn, Assistant Vice President for Student Affairs and Director of Athletics at Xavier University of Louisiana. Bowl game experience and communications is a staple in Gina's resume, and Jason's career is slathered with external responsibilities in college athletics and professional sports and entertainment. You'll note that today's conversation, we are bringing together two professionals who are part of two associations, one the aforementioned NCAA and the other the NAIA, one at the association's office and the other on campus. My name is Trip Durham. And as I moderate our time together, know that our conversation is not set up to ask Gina and Jason the same questions. We want to cover as much ground as we can. But there is one exception, and that's with this question. I'd like to know how each of you defines the word leadership. Gina, get us started. Leadership carries such an elusive definition. Uh, many people associate it simply with seniority um, or title. And to me, leadership means cultivating an environment um, that's based in trusted influence and achieving success through collective humility. I think leaders must always maintain a level of selflessness and autonomy, which as we know, can be very difficult as you climb that proverbial ladder so while there's many roots in those simplicity um, definitions of seniority and title, you know that the hardest part of leadership is really that cultivating of the environment. Um, through trust, so much can be built from a foundation that ultimately leads to great leadership qualities. For me, leadership is working with your crew and working with your team. You know, when I got here, you know, I came up with the with the hashtag of Team Gold, and that's what that's what we we've done. And and we also use win, grow, and graduate. So it's kind of for me, leadership is setting the tone for the staff, setting the tone for our student athletes, and and really just navigating the waters. As you know, with with college athletics, there's something new every single day. And it's, it's really, you know, not necessarily ruling with an iron fist, but, but how do we collectively, you know, put our students in a situation to win, grow, and graduate. So for me, that's kind of my definition of, of leadership. It's, it's being able to accept the challenges, working through issues, and, and, and really giving your staff some autonomy to do the things that they need to do to be successful. Gina, communications is so wide and so vast these days. There are so many messages, so many people. As a leader, how do you go about ensuring that messages are on point and that your messages do have the best chances to land? It's a great question. I think 
first and foremost, it's always important to think of your audience. Um, as a communicator, we really have to manipulate delivery, not only in the literal form, but with verbiage and, and the means to how we deliver that message. I often talk about how technology has forced this profession to be even more creative in the how and the why messaging, because what works for some might not resonate for others. Um, I often use this as an example. Um, the first recorded press release was in 1906. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> what else has maintained the consistency in business operations for over 100 years? I mean, from a format perspective, those of us who have had to write a press release at some point during our day, little has changed. Um, you know, you've got the, the structure really still in place since 1906, but from a distribution standpoint, it looks very different. You know, we now, as, as professionals, worry about analytics and the reach, terms that didn't exist decades ago. So always keeping in mind the end recipient, I would say is paramount in the process. Um, because again, you're just dealing with so many different audiences and the way in which they receive those messages looks drastically different. I, I love that reference to the press release in 1906 because Gina here in a bit, I'm gonna come back at you with a question about Teddy Roosevelt, who was around at the time of that first press release. Uh, I am curious, Gina, to know and to hear your thoughts about you speak of diversity, and there's so many diverse members within institutions and so many diverse SIDs at each school. Regardless, regardless of experience, regardless of age, how do you see the SIDs working into the process by which you communicate, by which the NCAA communicates? Well, the, the beauty of working with a membership organization such as the NCA is that collective range, um, experience, age, geographic landscape. I think all of those come into play when we're working to achieve what I just mentioned. Um, there was a time probably five or six years ago that it seemed a new social media tool was debuting every month and it was hard to keep up. But that's when we leaned on the college age expert. And, and yes, I will use that term expert because when tools or tasks are out of my wheelhouse, you know, I lean on those experts. SIDs have a greater pulse on the collective athletic landscape. They are in the middle, if you will, between the student athlete pulse, the administrative leadership. And again, going back to that different way of receiving messaging, they kind of sit at a really unique vantage point of being able to, to pull from both sides. And we need to understand that preference along with our intention simultaneously for the greater outcome in messaging. Jason, you're in an institution that seems to have a school on every corner in every town. I mean, Louisiana is a hotbed for education. As a leader, how do you approach the tone, that style, the philosophy. You mentioned the hashtags and the marketing statements in our opening. How do you convey the philosophy in such a saturated market? Well, you know, each school is, is unique. You know, we have, you're right, there are a lot of four-year institutions here in, in, in New Orleans and, and really across Louisiana. And, and, and one of the things, you know, we're, we're a historically black university. We're the only black and Catholic university in the country. And we're heavy in sciences, and I rarely say that from the standpoint that we do have a business school and we do have some other things. And, and we talk about the uniqueness of the HBCU experience. We talk about the fact that Xavier 
has the reputation of putting more um, blacks in medical school, that complete medical school. And so we're pretty solid in the sciences. You know, in US News and World Report, when they when they rank the HBCUs, we're number three. And um, I think when I got here, we were number nine or 10. So I would like to say that it that what we've done in athletics has helped increase the uh, the rating in U.S. News with um, with with HBCUs, but but we know that it's it's really just talking about what we know best. You know, we know the science is best, and 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 that's what we that's what we sell. Jason, that's a, a really good setup, I think, in a way. Um, you're not the type of leader to stand up and yell, "Hey, trust me on the direction." I, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to communication. I've been around and I know what's best. I don't get that from you. How does a leader create the trust with those who are following, a trust which gives confidence that everyone is heading in the right direction? I think part of it is just a lot of the discussions that I have. So, you know, when I got here, a lot of people were, you know, Mr. This and Dr. That and, and Mrs. This and and, and I broke down those walls and, you know, if my student athletes call me Jason, I'm fine with it. But they know where the, how the org chart flows. And, you know, the coaches, my predecessor was, was Dennis Kuzan, but everyone called him Mr. Kuzan. When I got here, I'm, I'm, I'm Jason. And, and that's, um, that's one way. The other way is, is another thing is I put a table in my office. So before it was the desk it was the chair. So when I meet with people, I typically come from behind my desk and I sit at the table and, and we're talking through this in, in a manner of speaking as peers. And we work through ideas and, and, and my coaches understand, you know, the, the old expression, the buck stops here, it, it stops here. But, you know, I, I, you know, when I got here, I said, let's say you asked for something five years ago and you were told no. See if you get the same answer today. I think that we've we've broken down those barriers and people look at things differently. And and with my experience working at Division One, working in the pros, working in the private sector, working with the Olympics, I've I've been able to draw on a lot of different pieces along the way that that I think are, are critical as we look at leadership and and as we look at developing a culture again of win, grow, and graduate. And and if it and, and as we look at those pieces, it's just a cool thing to see as, as we continue to grow this athletic department. Gina, the management of communications and the management of a communications team, that can be a really fickle proposition. Not only does the leader have to manage down, but they also have to manage up because to be honest with you, you know, we all report to somebody. How do you strike a balance in providing direction as a leader while at the same time being a trusted follower? It was, um, thinking about this question and thought a lot about actually a recent conversation I had with my, as of today, six-year-old daughter, as we were talking about being a leader and not being a follower. Um, it's amazing some of the really intellectual, deep conversations you can have with your children. They may not know it, but we had an example on a bus and I, I caught myself saying, Adriana, you want to learn to be a silent leader and people will follow you, but be silent about it. You don't need to say, look at me while you're leading. I've never and I will never believe in siloed leadership. Um, as a communication specialist and professional, I feel obligated that I must do just that, communicate. And sure, there are instances that not everyone needs to know everything, 
but information is power at every level, um, not just at the top. And if I can share information above or below me, so to say, I'm building that goal that I mentioned earlier uh, of trust. And I believe in that so deeply to my core. Um, I feel that from trust stems respect and with respect comes success. If I withhold information for my own personal gain and benefit, I've automatically eliminated so many elements of the team mentality. And, you know, to play into the sports reference, yes, we are all contributors to the team. You know, that old saying, there's no I in team. The team mentality is so important for collective success. So I don't withhold information um, really at, at any level. I want to be very open and honest and candid. And, and I think that that's really benefited in the relationships that I've been able to cultivate over my entire career. Okay, so to me that begs a great follow-up question. Uh, there are so many personalities within the large structure of the NCAA, and there are so many large personalities within your own household. You just mentioned <laughs> your six-year-old daughter. So you've got these varying personalities. You've got these local organizing committees. You've got the folks that have been around a structure like the NCAA for such a long amount of time. Everybody has their own idea about messaging. Everybody's got their own idea about branding, presentation. As a leader, how do you build consensus, whether it's with your six-year-old daughter or a veteran <laughs> of 30 years? Well, she's definitely the toughest. My, girl, my girls are the hardest to convince to do anything. So they're, they're my toughest critic and they're my best daily practice. People who know me will say I'm not afraid to speak up. <laughs> I have that going for me. I don't love the sound of my own voice, but I live and lead with passion. Um, I like to research, investigate. I often will pine over the how in a process. You know, how can this be great? How can this be better? How can we achieve X? Um, I have very strong vision, so I guess you could say I'm quite persuasive, um, but I, I wouldn't say that in an obtuse manner. You know, I love collective buy-in, but if I feel strongly about something, I better be able to back it up. And, you know, I, I kind of hold everybody accountable for that in the team sense, that if you want change or if you have an idea, um, don't just bring it or say it because it sounds good. There, there needs to be the how and the why behind the, the, the process and the purpose. I do believe that I overthink and overanalyze down to incredible and oftentimes ridiculous detail, <laughs> but that's important to me. Um, I use an analogy of putting together a puzzle. You know, people used to ask me in my former life, I will say, in working in the bowl industry of, what do you do all year? That was the number one question. That's a full-time job. And I'd always laugh thinking about what I knew went into the job, but I would use the puzzle as my analogy that every day I work on a part of the puzzle, um, but it's not just the main image of the puzzle that matters. The border pieces are, they serve as the framework. And some days I work on the sky. Some days I work at, at, on the house that's right there in the forefront. But if one piece is missing, when I'm done with that puzzle, it's incomplete. So. Every little detail to me matters. And, you know, part of, I think, my job of influence is convincing people of that detail <laughs> because I know not everybody looks at it like that, but I try and get them there that you, know, you may not think that the font that you're using matters, but I want somebody to walk away and collectively put that font with that signage and put it that with the experience they had at the event so that 
you walk away and it's like, whoa, this all came together. And it's those details that separate, you know, good from great to me. All right. So I'm just curious as a follow up to that on the whole puzzle analogy, which I think is brilliant. Do you go for the corners first to establish some type of framework? <laughs> you, you would think that I would, but no, I, I don't have a rhyme or reason to that. I go with instinct on what I think is kind of the most important piece. And I'm using that as an analogy and in, in real application. Um, I don't typically have a format. I, I joked with all the interns I worked with over the years because they'd come in and ask me for that the binder. Where's the binder? You know, how do I know what I need to do? And I'd look at them and I'd point at my head and say, my binder's right here. I don't have paper. I don't have spreadsheets for you. I just, I, I have intuition and timing. And I, you know, over the years that became my practice. So I, I don't have a formula or format, which was super unhelpful for, you know, a 20 year old intern coming in, but I would sit and try and talk to them about this puzzle and, and they got it. They understood. And we'd, you know, over the course of the year or whatever that term looked like for them, by the end of it, they would say, I remember you talking about that puzzle. It makes sense. You know, I think I think we got that last piece in today and that would be the best moment. Jason, the, the people that are listening, they're probably thrilled that we're about halfway through and they haven't heard the word pandemic yet. But sorry, it's going to have to come up. How do you keep a team motivated during a pandemic, whether it's communications officials, anybody? I, I'm sure your staff, like so many they're just flat out tired right now. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting animal, you know, um, for for all of us, you know. So we've been working remote for for most of it, and then once the the fall semester started, we we did do in person, and you know we're back at at remote. And you know I'm I'm speaking to you from my office because it helps me break up the day. But uh, you know for our staff we. Between me and, and and our associate athletic athletic directors um, Ed Cassier and, and Kimberly Gallo, we talk to our coaches on a regular basis. We talk to our student athletes on on a regular basis, and 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 you know it's just really trying to help people balance kind of figuring things out. You know we've got some staff that are single parents and they have kids, and the, you know all of a sudden hey school's closed and the kid has to be picked up from school. Well go get them. You know, work from home the rest of the day. Don't bring them around here because if they get sick, I'm going to feel awful. So, you know, so our coaches, we 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 have staff meetings probably more often via Zoom than than they want. But I think it's good for everybody. I make everybody turn their camera on. They, some people fuss about that because they didn't do their hair. They run and get a hat. But it's good for people to see other people's faces and smiling faces and and really to just kind of talk about you know, how we're all navigating and sharing information and maybe, ah, you know, that's a good thing to do. And and so that's that's kind of what we're doing through the pandemic, not just in athletics, but um, across student affairs and across the university. All right, I'm going to run the risk of stretching you just a bit uh, before pandemic times, if you can remember that far back and even where we are today. How do you recognize the work that people are doing in an X's and O's format? I mean, people have been busting their tails over the last nine months. They've been busting their tails for the last 20 years. As a leader, how do you recognize folks, whether it's in person or in a virtual setting? 
one of the things that I do is I give everybody an opportunity in our in our staff meeting to to say different things that they're doing, things that they have going on. Our um, media relations guy Ed Cassier, he is he's good and he knows if somebody got an award or if someone's speaking on a committee. And I'm sure when when this is over, he'll put it on social media and and, and all those things. So we make sure that our coaches are involved with different things within their their industry and we've told them to get on committees and yes does it add to what they're doing but i think it it breaks it up a little bit when you can't be on the road recruiting and so now you've got idle hands and it's it's just getting involved in other aspects of of the business and and, and really just you know finding the things that they enjoy and allowing them to do it so so we recognize them you know through that you know, I was on the phone with our Adidas rep, and we're going to do some things on our next staff meeting that allow them to, to purchase some personal things, and we'll pick up the tab on that as, as kind of a virtual Christmas gift, and, and I think they'll appreciate that. And so it, it's, you know, we've got a good bunch here, and, and they understand, and, and, and they appreciate that, you know, I know that people have to be in different spaces. And, and I've had some people say, hey, is it all right if I if I travel to Tennessee because my mom's there and she's there by herself? I say, absolutely go. And, you know, you're working from the road. And and I've always been a person who allows our staff to, to take those mental health days. And some people take me up on it. I never do it, but I, I need to. But I, I definitely think that it is a good thing that, you know, for somebody to say, hey, you know, you're looking up for me to say to somebody, hey, you know, just Friday, just unplug for a little bit and 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 take an extra day and just be with your your family. And it and it's worked in that respect. Gina, through all of your stops, and you and I are probably the same way, and Jason too, because we've all been around long enough. Uh, I love the term future stars. Gina, when you're in front of communications officers, when you're communicating with them, what what traits, what aspects are you looking for in what they could be as leaders when it comes to them being the next future star in the industry? You're probably sensing a, a common denominator and a theme here with me, but I, I like to think this is a fairly simple response, and, and that's humility and sense of purpose, both in life and the workplace. Um, during the interview process, I've never been one to stick to the script on questions. You know, what are your greatest strengths? What are your greatest weaknesses? Those have always felt like answers to me that people can memorize. And in the communications industry in particular, I want to be able to have a conversation, um, a, a basic who are you conversation, not what I can read on your resume, not what you've, you know, wordsmithed in a cover letter, um, or you show me on your social media account by all of these friends and likes that you have. I, those are nice things. Um, I think those contribute to the, the whole person. But quite honestly, if, if we can't just talk, um, then the fit in this industry is likely not going to be great. I, ironically, I've noted throughout my career that some of the worst communicators work in communications <laughs> and trying to draw them out of that, whatever reason, the comfort zone that they've gotten into where, you know, the core communication skill set has either left them, escaped them, never was there to begin with. I, I want to try and draw that out. But you can tell a lot by that young star who's hitting the ground to network, observe, and probably the most important thing, listen. 
Um, you know, I, I know people say, don't be afraid to ask questions. And, and I agree, but you can learn a lot from listening and, and observing. If the person who's listening to this right now, <laughs> they're going to be embarrassed I share this story. But very recently, we were going through an intern hiring process and had a ton of really great candidates and very experienced, as you can imagine, in that, you know, young 20 age group in particular in this digital and social media age. And they come forth with tremendous experience. And for HR purposes, I had to ask one of those HR questions. So it was the, you know, what do you define as success? And her answer was this, I just want to be happy. That's all she said. And I got off the phone and I looked at the people in the room and I said, she's hired. I mean, this is a 20 year old who could have given, you know, a great lengthy answer, um, given examples. And she just simply said, I just want to be happy. Now, I didn't go into, well, what does that mean? But for her to say that and not give, you know, a prescribed response, it really struck me. And she ended up being probably one of the, the best interns I ever worked with. Very mature, you know, the, the um, as they say, wise beyond her age, old soul, all of those really awesome characteristics when you see in a young person, you know that that's going to, you know, mean success for them down the road. But I was just so struck by that simple answer, um, and she meant it, and it was authentic. Uh, and, and she came in and, and did just that. You know, she listened, she observed, um, and she's going to have tremendous success. She already is. You know, she left and is in a great role right now. So when you talk about future stars, um, obviously, depending on what position you're looking for, but the common, the common core of some of these characteristics you know, you can't uh, you can't duplicate those and you can't um, make them up if they're authentic. They will they will get you places. Jason, continue on with that. If we have somebody that self-identifies for a position at the moment as they grow, as you grew, as anybody grows. How do you know that you're at that moment in which you say, hey, I'm ready for that next rung on the ladder? Well, I mean, if you look at my 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 background, I, I wasn't shy about ever doing that because I've had a, a number of opportunities in my in my career. But I think, you know, for example, with becoming an athletic director, and, and I was fortunate enough that I've, I've traveled a little bit and I've worked at, at different athletic departments on different levels from Power Five on up and on down and spent some time in, in, in pro sports. And, and for me, like with, with becoming an athletic director, I was fortunate that I got to spend some time as an interim athletic director, and it, and it came on pretty quickly. I actually was, was, was named the interim athletic director, I think, on Halloween um, one year. So it was the day before my birthday, and, and the president calls me and, and says, hey, I need to see you in my office, and, 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 and that happened. And I did it, and I enjoyed it, and I embraced it. And, and, and so for me, that let me know if I didn't get this job permanently, I'm ready to do it. For me, it's, I, I don't believe in the Peter principle. I don't believe in promoting people to the level of incompetence. But uh, for me, it's take a look at the landscape. Is it something that you wanna do? Do you have the confidence to do it? And is it a growth opportunity? And, and, and that's how I've looked at, at my career. You know, when I started in this business, I started in, in marketing. And back then, in, in the 1940s, there weren't too many people that looked like me in the marketing industry. But that didn't stop me. I, I 
I jumped in and I got some opportunities and and met some people and and really my first marketing opportunity came from a, a chance conversation with Mike Trangisi, the former commissioner of the of the Big East, and I wound up at the University of Miami, which was a Big East member at the time, and 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 really for me, you know, just reaching out and just just having fun with with what could be next and what can you do and just dreaming big, and so sometimes it's it's not about are you necessarily ready for it. But are you ready to accept the challenge of it? And for me, that's a little bit of how I've navigated my career. And, and I challenge younger people to do the same thing. Are you ready for the challenge of the next opportunity? Gina, you mentioned that first press release in 1905, which if historians will remember, that's when Teddy Roosevelt called a lot of leaders to the White House and said, look, this landscape of, of college football right now it's literally deadly. We need to figure out how to do things better. Roosevelt was someone who softly spoke, but he did carry a really big stick. And I wonder in a communications career, can you go quietly about your business, hoping that the big stick will carry you to the next level? I, I believe so. I mean, I, I chose to pursue this specific career path to stay behind the scenes. <laughs> I, I don't want or need or really like accolades. Um, although I'm an outgoing person and I have no trouble communicating, I don't like talking about myself. I don't like, you know, people asking questions about how and why and how great I've done. It's just not me. So at the end of the day, I know I wasn't the only person who got me here. Um, in fact, the line is very long. <laughs> Personal relationships, professional mentors, my faith, um, it's all been part of the path. And I get more pleasure watching wins by my teammates and putting them in position for success and achievement. Um, you know, back to that first question on leadership of trusted influence, that's all I need. Um, I have more gratification seeing others succeed and you know in the back of my mind i know that's due to my leadership but that that's that's that does it for me um and i'd say that that served me well i i don't forget where i came from ever um you know i'm fortunate that again in my previous life i started as an intern so you know five years fast forward seven years ten years fifteen i was always able to go back to that year one when i was an intern doing the jobs that nobody wanted to do but again, I was I was part of a team. So when I was in that room with other interns, you know, 10 years their senior, I would look at them and say, don't don't think I don't know where you're sitting right now. And, and I could relate to them and, and make them understand this is a process. You know, it, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You're not going to wake up and be there tomorrow. And that's all I need for, you know, that quote, self-validation. Uh, I think throughout my career, I have hoped that it has spoken for itself. Um, I often get asked to speak about being a woman in this industry and being a woman working in college football for so many years. And I would always tell people, and I will to this day, I hope that I get the job or you ask for me to do something with you because I'm the best person to do it. Your bonus is that I'm a woman. 
that's your bonus. That should not be why you're giving me the job or you're opening the door for me. I don't want that to be a reason because I don't want you to have an excuse against me. <laughs> and maybe that's a little competitive in my, my own nature, but I truly want to be the best person for the job. And so I hope as I sit here today, I can, I can say that the work has spoke for itself and it hasn't been for other reasons. Um, but I, but I live by that daily. And I, I think that that has served me well to, to kind of keep pushing me along in my career path. I have one final question for you each. Jason, I will start with you. Is it incumbent upon a leader to be a mentor? I think so. For, for me in my career, I, I look at myself as a, as a mentor now more than, more than ever. You know, I went from, you know, I guess we've all gone from being the youngest person on the staff to arguably the oldest person on the staff. But, you know, for me, when I look at, when I got into this business, you know, the people that helped me and, and, and I help people and I, I mentor people in, in their career and, and in my space here, you know, we've worked in the, in the six plus years that I've been at Xavier. I've helped four of our assistant coaches get head coaching jobs, helped um, a couple of our head coaches get other head coaching jobs, help our staff get get other jobs. And, and and sometimes people take it the wrong way. Like, hey, here's a job over here. It's like, no, I'm not trying to get rid of you. But I think it's incumbent upon um, a leader to, to operate in the space as a mentor to help people achieve the things that they want to achieve in their career. Gina, at the risk of maybe hearing some of the same things, what makes for a good mentor? Mentorship is is really important, and I think, you know, if I talk about my younger self, I don't think I realized how valuable until certain moments uh, in my life. I would tell people, though, to don't limit yourself or look for the unicorn mentor. And I mean unicorn of there's not one magical person who is going to be able to help you influence or make decisions um, or persuade or guide, you know, different points in your life require different mentor mentorship. Um, and they've built, you know, I, I call it my mentor toolkit. I've needed one when I became a professional. I needed one when I became a woman working in a predominantly male profession. I needed one when I lost my mother to cancer and was going through grieving. I needed spiritual mentorship. I needed one when I got married, when I became a mom, when I became a working mom. And so, you know, all of those pinnacle moments of my life required a different type of mentor professionally along the way. And some of those crossed into to personal mentorship. Um, but not one person is going to serve, like I said, as your, your unicorn mentor. So don't be afraid to lean on different people in different phases of your life and, and also people who have strong conviction in certain buckets. Um, you know, I have a friend that I go to anytime I need to say prayers with, or I need to just talk about faith. I, I know I can call her at any time of the day and she's gonna provide that. And I provide it back to her too. So it's, it's a two-way street often with mentorship as well. Sometimes you're that person's mentor as well. And sometimes they just serve that, that purpose for you, but don't be afraid to, to look outside of that kind of you know, who's your greatest inspiration um, saying that everybody has, because I think people have ability to mentor you throughout your life in different phases, if you will, of, of what you're going through. <laughs>